welcome to this episode of ClearedCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hi, this is Lindy Kaiser with clearancejobs.com. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Today, I am very excited to be talking with Mark Fraunfelter, the Assistant Director of the Special Security Director at the National Counterintelligence and Security Center, NCSC. We've chatted with him a few times at Clearance Jobs. He's always a great expert and insight into the Trusted Workforce 2.0 process. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Thank you so much. Mark, for joining us and for chatting with me today. Hey, thank you, Lindy. Uh, Glad to be here and bring everybody up to speed on where we are on the Trusted Workforce 2.0 effort. Yeah, and so we've updated a lot about Trusted Workforce, meaning the key milestone for DOD with all clearance holders being under continuous vetting. Certainly know from talking with you, I mean, that's a key part of it, but that's certainly not the only major milestone or accomplishment with Trusted Workforce 2.0. So now that we've kind of met a big hurdle with continuous vetting, what major milestone should we we looking for next in terms of Trusted Workforce 2.0? First of all, we're, we're very excited about where we are on the um, Trusted Workforce 2.0 clearance reform initiative. We've, we've seen the inventory of background investigations reduced from a high of 725,000 down to a steady state of less than 200,000. We're seeing timeliness for investigative and adjudicative processes improving. And as you mentioned, we now have 4.1 million clearance holders enrolled into a continuous vetting capability. And uh, so that's 4.1 million individuals. And this represents not only DOD, but the entire national security population, those individuals with access to classified information. And and this is a significant step forward for personnel vetting. So we're moving away from the traditional periodic reinvestigation every five to 10 years and toward a model that will surface relevant information in real time. This information will be presented to security and adjudicated professionals much faster than the traditional periodic reinvestigation allowed. A streamlined process, by doing this, it reduces the burden on individuals, flags only relevant information for the adjudicators and investigations will always be up to date. So with the entire national security population enrolled into a continuous vetting model, we're we're much better postured from a risk management perspective. And more importantly, it's better for the members of the workforce. So continuous vetting will enable us to identify concerning behaviors much earlier when they're small problems and well before they become bigger problems. And, you know, clearance holders, they're human. Clearance holders are not immune to personal issues such as financial hardships or substance dependency and mental health issues. So there's a wellness factor attached to this, and then get individuals the help they need, identifying issues up front to allow the workforce to leverage the abundant uh, resources that are provided by the U.S. government. So you ask, what's next and what we should be uh, looking out for? It's, it's important to point out that Trusted Workforce 2.0 initiative, it's an iterative process process. And having the national security population enrolled into a continuous vetting capability is is only the beginning. So we will soon see that population enrolled into a more robust process that we categorize and we cleverly uh, call Trusted Workforce 1.5. And this will leverage more automated record checks, the expansion of agency-specific information, such as adjudicatively relevant insider threat information and also user activity monitoring. So as we continue down this path, one of the common themes that we hear is just how timely the vetting process is. Uh, You know, being 
in the security field for a number of years throughout my career, there's always someone asking, hey, what's the status of so-and-so in the process? It's taking too long. We need to get this person cleared so that they, they can start working the, their mission-critical functions. So with the technological advances of automated record checks and such, we're looking into the potential for upfront vetting, which we label rapid vetting, especially among the tier three or medium tier population with access to classified information at the secret level. So Lindy, imagine a vetting process which will manage risk up front in a matter of days, and this would allow individuals to enter on duty much more quickly than allowed today. Of course, this is a future topic. We're piloting this theory, but certainly there's much more to come on this risk management approach. Soon you'll see a cascade of policy documents which further define the Federal Personnel Vetting Corps doctrine, which this was released last year or the beginning of this year, and it established the overarching framework for a single modern vetting program and set forth the principles for achieving the outcomes required of a personnel vetting program serving the needs of the U.S. government. So what will cascade from this, it'll include federal personnel vetting guidelines, performance management guidelines, investigative and adjudicative standards. And you will see this 2022 is going to be a big year to get these policies out and signed uh, at the director level. You'll also see an alignment of policy structure between security and suitability. Five tiers of the workforce collapsed into three. And then you'll see also five different vetting scenarios being defined by a unique relevant vetting process. So things like reestablishment of trust, people who leave the federal government and come back into a position of trust, uh, needing access to classified information, upgrades, transfer of trust, better known as reciprocity. These are scenarios which will have their own unique processing. I just want to point out this administration has made clearance reform a priority within the president's management agenda. The DNI and PDDI are well vested in this effort, and they address clearance reform in both of their confirmation hearings. Uh, Congress maintains a bipartisan support for Trusted Workforce 2.0. And our industrial partners obviously have a keen interest in this effort. They're concerned with the timeliness and reciprocity issues associated with the previous vetting process. So ODNI, OPM, the PAC PMO and OMB and DOD are working closely together to address clearance reform and the hard work is paying off with positive results and positive feedback across the enterprise. Awesome. I don't think I need to even be on here. Just keep talking, Mark, without me. What am I here? But you're talking my love language. 2022 is going to be my year and I'm going to have a cascade of policy documents to read. So I can't, I can't wait. But that is, you're, you're teasing to a lot of the kind of the next steps, the reciprocity, the transfer of trust, reestablishment of trust. So making those on and off ramps within government. I mean, because that's still a pain point, you know, getting people into the right position at the right time is always something that we're looking to accomplish. And so it sounds like a lot of the next iterations of reform are really going to address those. So another kind of, you know, it ties into in terms of with transfer trust, reciprocity, all of that is a lot of people have questions. Okay, we're not doing periodic reinvestigations anymore, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to ever do kind of something episodic to address security and suitability of the cleared workforce. I know that there's been conversations around some kind of an annual security appraisal form, which is something that the UK uses. What are maybe the pros and cons of doing some kind of a self-assessment like that? And how does that tie into what you're looking into for the next iteration of what periodic reinvestigations 2.0, I guess? That's a good question. What we do is the executive 
steering group looks at our trusted workforce efforts. And, and as a group, we try to look at potential gaps that may exist as we pivot away from the traditional periodic reinvestigation into a um, continuous vetting model. And you mentioned the UK. One thing that they use is this annual security appraisal that they brought our attention to. And they determined that they, they get a lot of information from this tool. So one thing that we look at and what this tool brings is as you go to automated record checks, you lose the ability to have a human voice into the individual. You know, think of, think of a dating app, right? You, everybody looks good on paper, but once you meet the individual, you can really get a sense for that individual. So similar to the annual security appraisal, we want to hear about things that a manager and a coworker can talk about based on an individual. So we made the decision to pursue this entrusted workforce, and we launched a pilot this year. So we had a random selection process, and we sent out a survey provided to individuals and their supervisor. And in this survey, questions ranged from your typical SF-86 questions about changes, financial changes, foreign contacts, foreign travel, illegal drug use, criminal activity, etc. But then we added questions such as, have you any cause for serious anxiety for your job? Is there any concern about a colleague? Is there any office mates who maybe are exhibiting domestic terrorist ideology uh, or extremist ideology? any contact with media, that sort of thing. And then we added a final question, which simply asked, is there anyone you wish to discuss a matter with embedded within a security or counterintelligence office? What we found was about half the employees responded yes to at least one question. And then also a percentage of managers responded yes to at least one question. And this ranged from issues such as maybe an employee experienced some stresses or personal life changes, is unable to maybe accept constructive criticism, subject who's been a very even-keeled person may start exhibiting a short temper and, and kind of a hostile environment. So these are things you don't get from automated record checks. And the other thing we're concerned with is doing something like this. What kind of burden would this be on the workforce? And, and the Overwhelming feedback was relatively positive. The majority of the employees reported that this survey took about 15 minutes to complete, and one comment in particular remarked that it was much better to do this each year than fill out an SF-86 form that people have to do every five years for the top secret uh, population. Amen. So some of those, and those of you who filled it out know what I'm talking about. Um, so this is the feedback that we were getting. We believe that based on our, our pilots, that one year is the correct cadence. It establishes a baseline, like I explained, that someone may be acting out of the ordinary or um, may show something different from their normal baseline. But managers provided this unique information, which was not previously collected or analyzed. And also the security and CI contact was very helpful to the employees. So I found that interesting that a lot of people in the workforce don't know who to go talk to about issues that are security or, or CI related. So the ASA, the annual security appraisal, can actually act as an organizational health check, can provide targeted early intervention resources and training. So relatively positive, but it's something we're looking into. Uh, we call it the secret sauce for Trusted Workforce 2.0, that extra added feedback that we can get. Related to that, I wish to mention an, an important aspect of the Trusted Workforce 2.0 effort. And we believe it's very important to consider 
human behavior as we go down this path. You know, one thing going back to um, 9-11 and the workforce witnessed a lot of changes to the physical security and force protection of facilities, structures were enhanced, and the workforce looked at that and said, look at what the government's doing for us to protect us. And then you take any of these espionage or, or high profile uh, spy cases, if you will, you know, Snowden and, and Robert Hansen and Aldrich James. And what resulted from that was a lot of things being levied on the workforce that they had to report, uh, forms they had to fill out. And the workforce responded by saying, look, look what you're doing, not for us, but to us. We continually message our efforts across the enterprise and, and socialize these efforts directly to individuals within the workforce. Buy-in is very important to us, and we have to continue to gain trust in the process from the workforce. And as we pivot away from the traditional periodic reinvestigation to continuous vetting, the feedback we're getting from security directors continues to be positive. And as we baseline the impact of the wellness factor I mentioned earlier and continue to show how the reform effort is reflective of a trust environment, I believe the overall workforce will continually see the benefits of our initiative. You bring up a great point there, because I think so much of the focus being on continuous vetting, which is obviously huge and is key, but really what Trusted Workforce 2.0 is about is that human behavior element. So continuous vetting is one part of that, but if you look holistically at all the reforms you're trying to do, it's really making a healthier, more proactive security component across the personnel security and industrial security mission, because industrial security is certainly key to what we're doing from a security perspective as well. And humans are at the heart of both of those and and how we can make our workforce better. What we're taking in from either continuous vetting or some kind of an annual security appraisal, how can we use that to make the workforce healthier? And I think, I mean, it's been a rough couple of years for any worker anywhere So to have actionable intelligence on some of those stressors to your workforce and be able to, as you mentioned, take steps to make sure that people have the resources and the assets that they need and that you're helping. It is in the government's best interest to have a good quality workforce. So trusted workforce is not just all these numbers, buckets, accomplishments, but it is, like you said, this comprehensive human behavior focused reform effort. That is a great point. I mean, part of the, um, when someone occupies a national security position, part of the challenge is obviously you want to measure that person's trust, integrity, and their character to allow them access to classified information. And part of that, though, you know, security, traditionally, maybe there's this perception of the big bad government looking into someone's ability to occupy that position. But but as you mentioned, there is a wellness factor there, too. And we need to ensure the characteristics of a trusted person. You also make sure that they're getting the resources that they need because like I say, clearance holders, they're human and, and they go through uh, personal events as well. And we want to be able to leverage those resources. Yeah, so really trusted workforce, really about all about making a holistic, healthy and trustworthy workforce altogether. Exactly. Continuous vetting may be a key part of trusted workforce 2.0, but that doesn't mean self-reporting requirements go away. Next up, Sean Bigley of Bigley Ranish joins me to talk about self-reporting requirements for security clearance holders. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of ClearedCast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.